Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Down the block. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we've got another instalment of Fan is Short for Fanatic, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by one of Australia's most successful businessmen ever, Mark Boris. Now, most in rugby league circles will remember Mark. Um, he's obviously on the board for the Roosters at the moment, but previous to that, he was the uh, founder of Wizard Home Loans, who were the major sponsor of the New South Wales Blues for about 10 years. So you remember... You know, when Freddie scored his charge down try, that that, that amazing image of him, you know, with, with the finger up, r- running away with the ball. He's got wizard across his chest. So that was Mark's business that sponsored the New South Wales Blues for a decade there and during a really successful decade as well. Uh, so he's obviously been involved in the game for a long time. So he talks about that period and touches on, you know, the involvement that he had with those New South Wales teams obviously had a really close relationship with Phil Gould, uh, Brad Fittler, who gave him his jersey from his last ever Origin game, which, funnily enough, as a kid, I sort of came in contact with because I went to school with one of Mark's kids. So it's a small world in that way. Uh, he talks about uh, Brett Finch's boot that he gave him. You've probably heard the YKTR boys tell this story, the stabiliser. Incredible story there. Mark also touches on his junior career as a footballer. So he was a pretty handy second rower himself. He came through the Canterbury system, played Harold Matz, SG Ball, did all that, won a few awards, played with some of the best players Canterbury's ever had to when he was younger. So he was pretty handy. And then... His mum enrolled him in uni without him even knowing. And in a strange turn of events, I mean, you know, we all know now Mark, his sold was at home loans in the mid-2000s for $500 million. But a few years before that, he had to give up rugby league because he simply couldn't afford the petrol to get to training, which is simply unbelievable when you look back in hindsight. As I said before, Mark is also on the board for the Roosters. So he touches on, and he's been there since 2003. So he touches on, 
you know, obviously his relationship with Ricky Stewart, the coach at the time, how successful he was at the beginning of his career and just how competitive the bloke is. Ricky Stewart, uh, an incredible tale there. And then he talks about their their coach now, Trent Robinson. A really interesting chat talking about Robbo and why he's been so successful. Mark's got a pretty unique seat as to where he can watch what Trent Robinson does. And it's, it's really interesting to hear from his point of view. And he just talks about the general culture of the Roosters and how their system works. He loves the word system. It's what the Roosters are. They're not a team. They're not a club. They're a system. And it starts at East Leagues Club and it finishes on the field and everyone plays their part. Mark touches on that brilliantly. And just, he also touches on the Roosters are quite often referred to as ruthless and he, he, he feels a little bit different, uh, indifferent about that. So it's really interesting to hear Mark's opinion on the Roosters and their system that they've built and the success they've had. Uh, this is a fantastic chat with a bloke that I absolutely love. I'm listening to his podcast, The Mentor, each and every day. So it was a really special opportunity to have a guy that I listen to every day come on my podcast and talk about rugby league. It's the best thing about, about footy, whether... You know, you're working on a construction site or you're a multi-millionaire like Mark. We all have the same love and the same passion, and it was fantastic to hear. Let's kick it off. Mark Boris, welcome on. How are we, mate? Good, mate. How are you going, all right? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You're obviously one of the most successful businessmen in Australia. Uh, right now, though, it's kind of irrelevant to me. You're on the uh, Fan is Short for Fanatic podcast, and I want to hear your rugby league story. Did you play footy when you were growing up? Yeah, um, I, I, at about the age of uh, fourth class, whatever age that is, nine or ten or something, uh, I went to a, a little Catholic school in uh, Lakemba, and um, I, I, I met up all these other kids from different schools, and uh, I got friendly with a kid. His name was Steve White, and he became my best friend, and uh, like I still hang out with him today, these days, and we're still good mates. And uh, ever since then, and uh, he's. I, he said he was going to go play rugby league and I never heard of rugby league. My, like my mum was all girl family and my dad was a Greek guy. He didn't know, like he was an immigrant. He didn't know what rugby league was. So um, I never watched rugby league. I had no idea what it was, but uh, I just said to my mum and dad, I want to go play rugby league. And they didn't know what it was. And they said, okay. So I played rugby league with him um, at, well, at school and uh, for our school. And uh, yeah, played rugby league in the Canterbury Bankstown um, district. And uh through school and uh, played rep footy, etc. Yeah, and I played. Yeah, there was a whole lot of good footballers. Like Graham Hughes and outside, like a lot of good footballers around in those days. What position were you playing, mate? Um, I played second row. Yeah, sometimes front row. I was a pretty big bloke. For I'm, I'm, I was the same size at 15 as as I am now. I was 80 something kilos, so uh, I was a big kid for the compared to the the rest of the guys. Um, we used to play weight in those days. You used to play weight for age, uh, so like. The, you know, you paid in the four stone sevens or the five stone two or the etc. Like you, you didn't play your age; you played your age and your weight. So um, it was it was it was actually much fairer than it is today. But I was always playing up because I actually happened to be heavier than most of the other kids. But we didn't have any Islander boys though in those days. So makes a difference, doesn't it? Makes a big difference, uh, mate. Obviously, you, you played in the Canterbury uh, competition. Did you play Harold Matz or SG Ball or any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, I played SG Ball. Um, those days, SG Ball was uh, not the same age as it is now. Uh, it was younger. Uh, SG Ball those days was, I think, 16. And the next one was 18, Jersey Flag. Um, and then there was President's Cup. And then there was under 23s. Uh, so, uh, in the second grade and first grade. But um, I played 
uh, I, I, I was asked to play flag, but I was only 17 and a half, but I'd, I'd finished school by that stage. I finished school when I was 17 and a half and uh, I moved to the eastern suburbs because I was going to university at, when I was 17 and a half. And uh, so I didn't, I, I was too hard. I mean, I wanted to play flag, but uh, I, it was too hard for me to, to get from university. Well, I lived over in these suburbs around the, the University of New South Wales and um I just couldn't get to Belmore to train, so I was, you know, you know, like, you know, those days, you know, I didn't have any money or anything. So, uh, and I, I really, to be honest, I couldn't afford petrol. Yeah, right, and mate, what, what was the dream as a teenager to play first grade footy? Oh yeah, well, totally, hundred percent. That's all I wanted to. Do. I think it should have been anything else. I was only just playing footy for the for the those days. I called the berries, and uh, I wanted to play first grade rugby league. And um, you know, my, a lot of my mates. At school, in up playing first grade. Um, you know, like the guy I said, Steve White, the guy who introduced me to footy, he played first grade for Canterbury Bankstown. Played in centres, um, and uh, of course, Graham Hughes played, and uh, there's a and a couple of guys in the rep sides I played in ended up playing first grade, like Malcolm Creevy, he was our halfback in Earth Street Ball side, he ended up playing first grade for Canterbury. Uh, there was a number of guys played, um, you know, not to be because uh, my mother made it pretty clear that uh, I was going to get a university degree no matter what happened, and uh. So I went off to university. I played university. I played second division for university. I played first grade, second division in the um, second division competition. I can't remember what it was called those days. But we used to play clubs like uh, Eastwood and those sorts of clubs. Yeah, that was a bit of, I just think that was a bit of fun. It was a bit more of a bloodbath though, to be honest with you. Like uh, it was just mostly first grade guys who retired first grade and went on Saturdays, wanted to go and play a bit of extra footy. So they'd go on there and bash the shit out of young blokes. Me. <laughs> Mate, I think you've made worse decisions than uh, going down a different path to rugby league. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so, probably. But, uh, well, rugby league wasn't as lucrative then as it is now. Um, you didn't earn, you know, couldn't earn a million bucks a year or half a million dollars a year for 10 years. And in those days, you got paid match payments and a few free beers at Canary Bankstown in the Leeds Club on Sunday night. That's about it. Mate, who was your, uh, your favourite player when you were growing up? A uh, couple, uh, probably Kevin Ryan was my favourite player. Um, he was a captain, captain coach of Canterbury at the time. He left St George um, and uh, he was a front row, as you probably remember. But uh, he was a – and I met him a few times. He'd come down to the SG Ball and, you know, like, you know, they'd get all the older guys to come and meet the young guys. So him and another guy called Les Johns. He used to love Les Johns. Uh, he played fullback for Canterbury. Uh, I see Les every now and then. Uh I haven't seen Kevin Ryan for many years, but I see Les every now and then. He had a bit of a he's had a bit of a bad run, but uh, yeah, they were my two sort of idols. I, I, I used to go to Belmore over and watch all the games with my dad. All never missed, we, we never missed games. In those days, he stood on the hill and people used to go to the game with uh, the big long seven fifty mil bottles of beer, and uh, when they finish and they throw them at somebody else, uh, that was <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Uh, uh, it was always brawls and stuff there. Uh, to be honest, like I mean, if you took a kid there now, they'd be on what the hell was going on. But like it was like second nature to us. Like you'd be standing there and there'd be a brawl break right next to you. You just wouldn't even blink an eyelid. You'd just keep watching the game, you know. Mate, um, obviously, you know your your wizard brand that you had years ago. It just you know you, you're on that Blues jersey for so long, and it, it's sort of it's a brand that I always remember because it's it's associated with so many brilliant moments for the Blues. I mean, Freddie 2004, Joey 05. What's the moment that stands out for you? Uh, 
Well, to be honest with you, they're probably the moment that sends we, we had this concept when, when Joey, Freddie were playing and uh, there was, it was 2005 and uh, I think Gus was the coach. Uh, so I, I, I was on the front. What's interesting about that period, if you were the sponsor, at least this is what my experience was. I was on the New South Wales jersey, across the jersey from 1998 to 2008, 10 years. And the way they, the coaches operated, then it was very inclusive. So they actually called me in as a sponsor and maybe because I knew them already, but you know, and I used to be part of everything. Like you just, and I, I was actually interested to be part of everything too. So, um, and one of the things that really stood out for me is that Gus and I come with this idea of giving them a ring. Um, and, uh, and uh, the first, and it was, a, you only got the ring if you, you know, the team that won the series, you got to win the series. And uh, the first time we gave a series ring out um, after we come up with the idea, um, I, I remember being in the sheds when we gave the ring out and Gus had, um, had this, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, commando paratrooper dude who'd been there talking to the boys about um, uh, war, etc. And he used it to rev them up, etc. obviously. And, uh, and on the ring um, we had engraved best of mates, worst of enemies. And, uh, and, and we, and I, I bought the rings uh, and I, we gave out to all players. It was a really cool moment because, you know, Gus got me involved. It allowed me to give them out and, and I think all the players really appreciate it. I mean, I'd say those guys um, um, during that period um, would still have those rings. I mean, I know Gus still wears his ring every now and then to Origin Games and he'll show, me, show it to me. You know, I, I got one too. I, I bought myself one. I didn't play, obviously, but I bought myself one. Um, so, yeah, that really stood out for me. One of the other things that stood out for me, though, was one the very first year was Tommy Rodonikus was the coach. And, um, I, you know, I didn't, never knew, met Tommy before and I, I said, look, he said, oh, what, do you, what do you want from all this? What do you want from this sponsorship, you know? And I said, listen, uh, Tommy, I said, I, I, I tell you what, I, I don't know really what I want, to be honest with you, because, but I'll tell you what I don't want. I said, I don't want really bad publicity, you know, I don't want shit to happen. Yeah, don't worry about that. He said, I'm going to look after the boys. Don't worry. <clears throat> and I said, okay. And uh, I'm not joking, literally the next day, in the front page of the Daily Telegraph, there's a picture of Tommy standing there with his hand around some bloke's throat at the Bourbon and Beef State Bar, a <laughs> cigarette and a drink in the other hand, like that, you know? And uh, I thought, okay, he obviously listened to what I had to say. But, and it, it, it didn't affect my business at all. Uh, I mean, I, to some extent, what I worked out was um, any publicity is good publicity, you know? Um, and I didn't realize that at the time, but that's, that's how it worked out. Mate, if that's the worst thing you get out of Tommy, it's probably a win just quietly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, Tommy was good. Uh, he didn't last long. He only lasted that one year. And uh, we got Junior Pierce the next year. And uh, Wayne and I are still good mates to, 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 to this day. But uh, uh, Junior Junior had a good run. Uh, but unfortunately, you probably remember that he took everybody uh, horse riding or something like that. And one of the guys... A couple of injuries. Horse. Yeah, totally. Uh, it was wild days, those days. It was, really was wild. I mean, and after the game, <clears throat> I had actually get some ex-coppers. I paid them some ex-coppers to work off duty in the end to manage security around the players in Brisbane, especially in Brisbane, because there was a bar there that everyone used to go to in Brisbane. I can't remember the name of the bar. It's on the water there upstairs. And uh, it was, you know, obviously everyone had a few drinks and uh, quite a few. And um, especially if you won, even if you lost, you still, they still had a few drinks. And you're just, you're on tenderhooks the whole time. You're thinking this is going to blow up any minute. Because punters, you know, Punters want to come out and say, oh, there's, you know, Terry Hill. Hey, Terry. And or, or like, I remember standing between, like, you know, the boys would be drinking. I remember standing between Terry Hill and uh, who, who was it now? Uh, 
it was Spud Carroll. And uh, they're on the same side. And that, but they had enough to drink and they didn't really like each other. And I was actually standing there like this, like, on you, Blake. So this is like two o'clock in the morning in this particular joint. Um, nothing happened. But like, uh, when I think about it in hindsight, that was a pretty dangerous thing for me to do. Two big personalities. Uh, totally. And, and Ken, both of them can go all right too, especially Terry. Mate, uh, obviously the one moment that stands out for me is Brad Fittler's try in 04. And I remember, you know, I would have been 10 years old or so. And, I, you know, I went out to ANZ Stadium. He charged down. He scored the try. Unbelievable moment. And then I remember coming to school the next day. And at the time, I was going to school with a young bloke, James. And I remember James got up to do like a show and tell. And he had Brad Fittler's jersey in his hand. And I just remember looking in going, oh, this fucking prick. He was so blasé about it. And I was just looking there going, fuck, I would give my right arm to have that jersey. <laughs> yeah, well, Freddie gave me the jersey um, after the game. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, – you're talking about my son, Jimmy. Yeah, James. James. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was ready to I kill know, him. I couldn't I believe it. the fuck he got it. He must have pinched it out <laughs> of my fucking house somehow. Like, a uh, little pricky. Why was he taking that to school? Anyway, because, you know, Jimmy was always up to mischief. Like, you know – which school? Which school was that at? That was at uh, St. Charles, mate. Charles, yeah. Well, you know he got turfed out. He got yeah, I think he got shown the door a few times. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, and uh, he from St. Charles, he went then to uh, I don't know which school. He had a few, yeah, a few revolving doors. So uh, he was always under mischief. And that, you know, he's one of four boys, right? He's the youngest. And Jimmy, if anything was ever missing in the house, we'd ask him. He knew, he knew, you know, he'd say it's in the left-hand top drawer in the, at the back or something like that. Like, he knew where everything was belonging to everybody. And uh, so, obviously, he used that sort of uh, skill to get that jersey and secrete it to uh, school and show off. Well, mate, I'll probably get him in a... jersey again either. You didn't pinch it. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, I'll, I'll probably get him in a bit of Barney Rubble here. But he, uh, he then showed up to footy training that afternoon and... My old man was coaching at the time, and me and James were in the same side, and he went to put it on, and my old man sort of went, no, nah, not a hope in hell. <laughs> so he probably uh, saved your ass there. <laughs> I, I never saw that jersey, and you only just now reminded me of that jersey. Um, I don't know where that jersey And I also don't remember where uh, – uh, oh, I got the boot, um, Finchie's boot. Stabiliser. Field goal. <laughs> yeah. Remember kick the field goal. The only orange game he played to kick the field goal. Like, and uh, – Something happened somehow. Either I bought the boot, I bought the boot at auction or something, some charity thing. And I bought the boot. Turned out it wasn't actually the right boot; it was the wrong boot. And uh, and the, Finchie told me years later he thought it was hilarious. But anyway, uh, yeah, I got I got so much memorabilia and paraphernalia from those years. Like I, I used to get a bag every year. Like the players used to get a bag with a kit bag. You know, I've got, I've got a kit bag from every year, somewhere downstairs in the storage area. But. Uh, and I, I, I actually collect a lot of stuff. And in the end, I started giving stuff away to charities and stuff like that so they could auction it, like jerseys and stuff. Because the deal was I used to get 22 jerseys every year signed by every player, uh, by every player, um, and, uh, and and uh, which was pretty cool. And I used to just hand them out to people. And uh, I remember Sterlo got a couple off me. A few of the boys got a few off, off me just to go and auction it there at the various events. Mate, uh, obviously, after the State of Origin, you, you become a board member of the Roosters in 2003. For a kid from Punchbowl, grew up a Canterbury fan, to be on the board of the Roosters, it's pretty surreal. Totally. Well, the, what actually happened is when I moved over to the East Suburbs when I was going to uni, um, and by the way, East Suburbs, I'm talking 43 years ago, I don't mind it, 47 years ago, okay? That's how long ago it was. East Suburbs wasn't like it is now. Um 
it was mostly my Polynesian, our Polynesian mates were living there and, uh, and it was a pretty rough joint. It wasn't, it wasn't, Dead Set was not a plum area, you know what I mean? Uh, not, not to where you want, really want to go, especially where I was living. I was living in a total shithole. No money. Um, I had a scholarship to go to university and every dollar I earned, every, every dollar I got from the scholarship went to pay my rent. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, I sort of st- I started playing, as I earlier played footy for uni and I sort of started to stop following the footy because, you know, like, I, yeah, I didn't have, there was no mobile phones, there was no Foxtel, you know, you couldn't follow the games. You had to have a television, I didn't have a TV. You know, pubs didn't have all that shit going on. So there was nowhere to watch the game. Um, so I sort of lost touch with the game a bit. And um, then over a couple of years there, I went out to a few games in these suburbs because it was close, to be honest with you. And uh, just because, but just because mates asked me to go. And I become pretty matey with a number of blokes. And then, um, and then the Super League War started. I'll be honest here, at the time I was pretty filthy on Canterbury for uh, going with Lachlan, going Murdoch. Mm. And uh, you know, of course Canterbury was uh, like a leader in that, you know what I mean? And uh, I've always expected, I always expected Canterbury to be like a proper traditional club in my, from my point of view. So I'm going to be filthy on him. And I, I thought, well, I've been going to a few Roosters games in these suburbs, you know, like uh, I'm not, I, I bar Canterbury. Um, I bought him for uh, crossing over to the Super League. And, um, you know, because it, it killed everything off. And like, if you remember, the state of origin was pretty crap. Every, the whole competition was pretty, yeah. the two competitions were crap. And uh, and then I got an opportunity to join, I, I, I got the opportunity to join the board of the Roosters, which is 70 years ago, um, because a mate of mine, Nick Pleist, was a chairman. And David Ginjo and I were really good friends. And David was on the board. And, uh, and so I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll join the board. And they asked me to join the board and uh, I joined the board. And uh, that's it's sort of as simple as that, but but probably coming from being filthy on uh, Super League and Camp, what the Canterbury did. I'm all cool with it now, like, but at the time I was sort of very much the sort of in the Gus Gould mould and the ARL mould and, uh, you know, like Brewster's, South, et cetera, Manly, like the, the traditional clubs, staying in traditional clubs. Because I, I, I just saw something like that as totally destructive it was only and really the the design or the objective of the super league the super league uh, people was we'll put more money in somebody because we know that people will walk for money and I just thought that's the wrong thing when it comes to rugby league. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mate, I imagine after barring Canterbury, there would have been a night in 2004 that would have been a good time for you. Well, you know what? Sonny Bill, if you remember, was playing against us. And uh, I remember Justin Hodges was on the in our side. And I said to Hodge, mate, go and clean him up. It was a massive defeat um, for us. I mean, but, you know, we had 2002, which is a grand, we won the grand final, but we had two, two more disappointing years like where we've got, lot, we got beaten in the grand final. Um, I, I remember when I was sitting uh, sort of just behind the players type of thing at, at uh, ANZ and... Um, so on this side was Roosters players and Roosters supporters sort of sitting right behind him. And on the other side of the tunnel was the Bulldogs uh, reserves or bench. Behind them was supporters. 
And mate, the amount of abuse I was getting from uh, Bulldog supporters was fucking crazy. And uh, a few times there, I stood up and I, you know, I threw a bit of abuse back. Um, but they were like fully serious, you know, like, uh, and they go on back saying, well, you, you know, you're from, you went to school out there, you're a trader and all this shit. <laughs> and of course I didn't have an opportunity to explain what I've explained to you. And in the heat of the moment, I, I know I, I hurled a bit of a slang a bit back, you know, like, uh, which all they did was, uh, you know, like, uh, made it a little bit more heavy and uh, then security guys came around and all sort of shit. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a bit of a disappointment, but like football's full of disappointments. It's full of a few elations. Rugby league is full of a couple of elations, you know, a couple of times you get it because it's, it's a fine line between winning and losing. There's not much in it, you know? And, uh, and then when you lose, uh, like it's, it's deathly. It's, it's, it actually is deathly. It's like, it's not, there's nothing in between. It's like winning a winning dressing shed is just ridiculously hyped. Um, whether it's origin or grand finals or just a normal game. Um, and then a losing dressing shed it's the complete opposite. It's like there's a death. No one lifts their head up. Everyone's got their head down. No one wants to look, you know, look at each other in the eyes. No one speaks. Um, everyone just stares at the ground, sort of thing. And uh, it's heavy. You, you sort of think to yourself, how can hell can I get out of here? You know, like I, I, I just don't want to be here. It's come visit someone at hospital. You know, it's a, a shit experience, but a thing you have to do. Mate, tell me about the coach at that time, Ricky Stewart. I, I know you guys are pretty good mates. So tell me about the person that is Ricky Stewart. I had I had Minnie, I had Finchie, I had Fitzy come on the podcast, and they all just spoke about how competitive he is. Well, uh, Sticky is uh, we're good mates, um, but Sticky's probably the most competitive, one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. So Ronnie Palmer was our um, conditioning coach, the Cougar. And, uh, yeah, the Bondi Charmer. Um, and uh and then and and Ricky, they used to train and, they, and we all we in those days we used to train down at Wenny Park. I can't remember the reason was, but there was reasons of why we couldn't train we normally train. So we used to train went with the dogs and the dog track there and they had a good gym upstairs and um so me and Ronnie used to always train together. So Ronnie said, Well look, I'm training with Sticky, you wanna come train with me? So I said, Okay, I'll go and train with you, no drama. So I used to start training with Rick. So me and Ricky and uh, Ronnie used to train together. And like, it wouldn't matter. It just wouldn't matter what day of the week it was, what time of the day it was, how many sessions we'd had. Like prior. As soon as you walk in that room, Ricky would say, he'd look at, like this is just an example. He'd say, look at my arms, mate. And he might say, mate, are you okay? Um, he'd be looking at Sarah my arms and he'd say, and he'd, be, he'd start sledging me about my arms. Like, we're just fucking training. Like, it's just, <laughs> dude... <laughs> We're just training. We trained yesterday. Like, and he'd look at your arms and say, you look like, you don't look well. He said, you look like a lot of bit, lost a bit of muscle in your forearms or your, and like, it'd get in your head straight away. Or if we used to get on the row, which I hate the row, but I'd get on the row and uh, he'd say, it's like, it'd be, we'd do minute sets or two minute sets or 500 meter sets. And he'd start, and uh, he'd start saying things like, uh, oh, geez, you slow down. Like, whilst I'm doing it, like, <laughs> he just, he had to win. All the time. Um, he was an incredible competitor. Um, and, you know, of course, he started the gang tackle or the gang gang style defence. He started with us in two, 2002 or 2001, 2002, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why we were so successful in that period because our defence was brilliant. And uh, but a, lot of, a lot of clubs started copying us after that. But uh, his whole process was about domination. You dominate the opposition no matter what, which is sort of that... 
It's it's heavy, heavy competition. He was in the early days, not so much now these days because he's sort of mellow. But he was pretty full on with our players. Like uh, he, he, you, if he wouldn't miss you if you fucked up. Yeah, it sounds that way. Yeah, no, he did miss you, um, and it didn't make any difference. And he would carry that for days. Like, and it's not. A, it wasn't theatre. It was real deal. Like he was filthy that you you didn't do what your allocated job was. Um, on the field, um, I think um, players either survived or or uh, failed heavily around that environment, um, and that that's some some people react well to that, but other people who are a little less robust, intellectually or mentally, might not react that well to that. Um, I know, and and then you know, Ricky wasn't that much older than a lot of the players. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's a, still a very young, competitive man. Um, even now, he's still very competitive. Um, but like, yeah, he was a, he's an interesting character, Ricky Stewart. Like he's in, he was, I don't know now, cause I haven't seen him at Canberra, but he was intense. Like in everything he did, he expected the most and the best out of everybody around him. And by the way, that's the way he played. Yeah, for sure, mate. And for, from one premiership winning coach to, you know, your next premiership winning coach, tell me about Trent Robinson. Uh, Robbo, well, totally different character. Um, much younger for a start, a different generation, to be honest with you. Uh, um, Robbo's much more calm, or at least he looks more calm and uh, projects more calmly. Um, Ricky probably is these days anyway, but Robbo, at a, as a young man, incredibly brilliant, I think. Um, a great um, strategist. He's a great tactician, tactically really good. Uh, Robbo's very good strategically. Um, they're different skills. Um, and Robbo's like a great student of the game um, or a great student of contact sports generally. Um, so he's always looking for an edge, like a new thing, but he's really good at getting into the players' heads and getting close to them um, in a genuine way, not in a sort of manipulative way, but a, a genuinely good, good at getting into people, the players' heads. And it helps that he's much younger um, so he can relate to them quite a lot, quite, quite well. But at the same time, he's able to elevate himself away from them. So, very economical in his speaking. You know, he's uh, you know what he says is meaningful. Sort of Jack Gibson like a little bit, but but a little bit more words than Jack ever used. But big compliment. But, yeah, totally. Um, uh, well, Jack Jack's was a bit of theatre too, to be honest with you. Like uh, Jack played on that. Robbo doesn't. It's generally Robbo, so he knows how to pause in conversations. So he's a student of a lot of stuff, but uh, and and he uses it around our players. So he's sort of like the master psychologist around our players and by the way not just the players everyone the board all his staff his colleagues the media the NRL I mean he, he's a, a strategist in everything he does so you know and, and the players can see it, sort of see it and they admire him for it and I and I think a lot of our players learn from it um, and have become to be honest with you better, better young men and Robbo's thing is about producing good young men um, as well as footballers but good young men as well as winning competitions and good young men so Robbo knows the importance of a sponsor he understands the whole ecosystem as to how our club works which is why you know a lot of young guys want to come to us because he's created a really good beehive it's a it's a bloody good system like the rooster system or east system everyone talks about it I mean you hear the commentators always talk about the, the rooster system it's as I said it's like a beehive 
and uh, he's got it, and he has it humming all the time. Or it's like humming all the time. Even now, and during well, it's training the moment, but like in the next week, so it'll be still going. There'll be still contacts, and there'll be initiatives, and even when they're not coming to training, and you know just how he schedules everything, and he's built his unbelievably good team underneath him. Um, you know, physios and sports scientists, and you know, conditioners and physiotherapy. Uh, you know, masseuse and therapeutic masseuse people. It's a, he's just built this great ecosystem under him. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, I'm extremely impressed. And he's a, on top of all, he's a good bloke. <laughs> he's very likable. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Politis, Nick Politis found him. Um, but, but bear in mind, he had, he was our defence coach um, in 2010 in the grand final against St George, which we lost when Bennett was coaching St George. But, uh, and, uh, and, and Smith was our coach, but um, he was our, he, 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 we did have experience with him. He did play for us too. So, um, you know, he played a couple of seasons for the Roosters. So, um, yeah, but Nick got him back from uh, France. Before I let you go, mate, who's your, uh, who's your favourite player running around in the red, white and blue at the moment? Um, I love Rads. Uh, so do I. Legend, I isn't he? I mean, he's just fucking awesome. And I really think we missed him this year. And I'm not taking anything away from any of the boys who are there. But I think we miss Rads, like, you know, like he's the second 5'8". Um, he inspires him when he just goes up and puts his body on the line. He's just, he's just got, he's got a presence. Um, you know, they've all got presence, but he's got a, he's got a, a Victor Radley presence. Um, there's something about him. He's a cheeky bastard. He's funny. I mean, he was great. He was still there in the training in the camp, et cetera. Um, he was sort of like a, a water boy, a ball boy, like he's just hanging out. But when he's on the field, that presence, I think, is really important. I think the opposition are probably saying, where is he? Um, which way am I running? Uh, because he's, you know, and uh, when he gets the ball in his hand, um, as I said earlier, he can play like a 5'8". So, you know, he, which was, you know, I know Kyle's not with us anymore, but it was great for Kyle and, um, and or uh, uh, Kiri, Luke, because they've got a big body standing there. It's a bit hard to replace him. You know, you take him out, like who, who do you put there? I mean, you, you know, we put Sonny there, but like it's a different sort of thing, you know, like Sonny's not, 22 or whatever Brad's age is, but like, it's, it's, it's just different. Sonny's got his own skill base, but like, yeah, we really miss that regret. I love watching him. I just like his personality. I love his character. I like the way he plays. It inspires everybody when he plays. And uh, he's just one of the blokes. If you stand there, a whole lot of people want to go and talk to him. There's something about him. Yeah, mate, for me, I, I, I think he's the best pure lock in the NRL. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I agree. I have to tell you though, Angus Crichton, yeah, uh, Mate, towards the end of the season and during the Origin, I said I saw Angus last night. I said, "Mate, for me, you're the best player in Origin, playing in the last game. Like he just carried guys, and he he did it quietly. He did it in a sort of he doesn't do it in a flashy way. He doesn't go around like putting guys on their ass like Radley does. But he he does damage. He's hard to stop. He's got a good step on him. He's a good running ball runner. Um, yeah, like he, and he was he was into it. And uh, so I, I would say I want to pick two. So I'm going to pick. Angus and, and Victor Radley. I mean, everyone, we all love Teddy, etc., and we love Luke Keary. I mean, I, like, they're, all, I mean they're, all, they're all great. Lindsay Collins is playing fantastic. You know, Hargraves, I mean, I, I could just name more, you know, Jakey, etc. but I, I keep going through them if I wanted to. But, like, they're just two cool dudes I love watching. Mate, explain to me before I let you go the high standards at the Roosters. You, you mentioned Kyle Fluttingham before, and funnily enough, I had him on the podcast yesterday and talking to him, and... I always say the Roosters, they're in the premierships business, not the friends business. And I think he is the perfect example of that, that for whatever reason, Trent Robinson didn't believe he was the man that could wear the seven and, you know, win a premiership. So he's shown the door. 
I mean, it, it's a move that probably wouldn't be made by most clubs. 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say that um, our system is ruthless, but it is. The system is ruthless. No one person in the system is ruthless. It's not Nick or it's not Robbo. I mean, in fact, if they're the opposite. They're very extremely compassionate and uh, caring people. Like the whole club, the club's very caring. But we have a system that if you don't fit it within the system, and I don't mean uh, like he's got a bad personality or he was a crazy bastard or uh, unruly or hard to control. I don't mean that. But if you're if you're in your role within the system of the first grade team, if, if you don't fit, if it doesn't work, the system spits you out. And uh, obviously someone's got to tell you that and you know, someone's got to bear the bad news, but the system spits you out. And... Um, um, you, and the system is designed pretty neutral. Um, it's designed to be, it's, as you said, it's designed, it's designed to w- win premierships and it's designed to build 13 players or 30 odd players, which is, you know, the, the full complement of players that can get us to the premiership. Um, it doesn't mean it makes us win because the players at the end of the day win on the day. It's up to them, but it gets, the system gets us there. And if you don't fit in the system, if it just means for some reason, you know, you and Luke Keery, uh, Kyle and Luke Keery are exactly the same. You only need one of them. Um, it'll, it'll sort of elevate one out. It's, it's nearly, it's nearly like it's electronic or digital and it's based on data. It's like something there with a, its own intelligence working on um, who doesn't fit and who does fit. And uh, it makes it obvious at the end of the day. And, um, and, but it's no one person who actually says, Oh, let's get rid of him. Someone has to give you the bad news, obviously. Um, but, and no, we don't like doing that. He's a good kid, Kyle. Um, I, I'm very happy he's gone to the Bulldogs. I'm, you know, he didn't take long to find a spot. He's a good kicker. He's a good ball player. He's only very young, very inexperienced. Hasn't had many first grade games, as you know. Um, and he, 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 you know, like a lot was put on his shoulders, you know, given the coops that left. <laughs> That's a big deal. We had a lot of injuries during the, day, the year, lots of injuries. And so he missed out on a lot of help that he would ordinarily get. But at the end of the day, we have to do what we have to do, or the system has to do what it has to do. You know, I, I, don't, I reject everybody saying that we are a ruthless club of just winning premierships. No, we are a ruthless uh, club in terms of the system we built that is robust. Not only is it robust to make sure we win premierships, it also it's a system we built to make sure we build good people. We look after our sponsors. Um, we represent the NRL property properly. Um, we run a leagues club that's going to be stays profitable, so they can support the communities that support, which includes the regular community. Um, so it's it's a very big, robust thing. It exists. It actually exists. And people are, are now, you as you said, as I said earlier, commentators are now talking about the system, and um, it, they recognise that the system exists, and uh, you know we build it. Um, now, you can't try and control it because it's actually doing something good. Mate, last question. What's one lesson that rugby leagues taught you as a kid that you've applied to your business career? I probably think it, I've just been talking about it. I think building systems that don't rely on any one individual within business. Um, so rugby league has taught me that it's not about just having the best players, like just picking this player and that player and you know putting, you know, Gutherson at centre because he paid a great year at fullback for Parramatta. You know, I mean, that that's my my position. I I think um, 
great teams have great come out of great systems. I mean, uh, Queensland, it was just a great system, which is why they went so many state of origins. Um, I know, I know in our club, the old days, the Bulldogs, they had a brilliant system under Bullfrog. Uh, like Peter Moore, he built a system. Um, Arco at Manly built a system and that's where we get all your great Manly teams and great premierships and good business has to have a system. Have to have, you need a hierarchy in the system um, and you need a, a certain, the, the system needs, as I said earlier, needs to be ruthless. It's, it's going, it's always moving towards one end. And uh, I, I try to do that in business all the time. And I know it pisses people off, but I'm um, in my own business, but, but that's just how we have to be. And, uh, and just, just stick to the rules work. Mark, I appreciate your time, mate. I know I've gone a bit over schedule with you and I appreciate uh, all your time you've given to me, mate. Have a cracking day and uh, good luck for the Chooks in uh, 21, mate. I won't tell Jimmy you gave him up. <laughs> I'm not giving <laughs> you that fucking jersey back either, just quietly, so all good. No, I won't, oh, man, I'll be going down there tonight and he's down in his little flat where he lives there on the property and I'll be looking around through, through his drawers to find that fucking jersey. Probably, <laughs> that's probably worth 20 grand. At least, Unless mate, he's sold at it. Least. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. Cheers, Bye-bye. mate.